Well, welcome everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good? Hey, for those of you here in Waukesha, our friends in Pewaukee, whether you're online, my name's Don, one of the pastors on staff, and I'm just thrilled that you're here today. As mentioned earlier, we are in the middle of a series called Stories That Change Everything, and we're looking at stories and parables that Jesus told. I think we can all agree what makes a great story is a great storyteller. And I got to tell you, we have four kids, and my wife would read stories to them every night, and she was a great storyteller. She had a routine. She sent them off to bed to go pick out a book, and we had a bookshelf full of books, and they always chose one of these Disney classic books. It was the biggest on the shelf. I think they were some pretty smart kids. There's actually 90 pages in this book, and they would read, and my wife would be gone like for an hour. So occasionally I would have to substitute and I would go up and I have a routine as well as a dad. Mine's a little bit different. You don't get to pick out the book. I do. And I generally would pick out a little book like this. It's called Marmalade's Nap. It's got a few pages inside of here. And I just made up a bunch of stuff. I was back in my seat on the couch in about five minutes. Well, listen, I can tell you many of you guys have heard the word you skipped a page. So I know that I am not alone. Like I said, my wife was a great storyteller, but Jesus, he was a master storyteller. 2,000 years, this carpenter from Nazareth, he told stories that connected with all kinds of people, young, old, rich, poor, married people, single people, even people that were cynical about religion. And when Jesus would finish these stories, he always had the same response. It said, when Jesus finished saying these things, these crowds were amazed at his teaching. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. No one ever spoke the way that this man does. These are just a few of the examples of Jesus' teachings. At least one aspect of Jesus' life that believers and non-believers could all agree on is that Jesus was an unbelievable, probably one of the best communicators of all time. And when Jesus often used these stories to communicate where his heart was, where his kingdom is, and kind of give us a glimpse into who he was. Over the last four weeks, we've been reading these parables and giving messages on them. If you missed any of them, I highly encourage you to go to our YouTube page. You can check out all the messages there or go to our website as well. Well, today I want to look at a story that Jesus told about loving your neighbor. I think it's a, a timeless story that we can learn a lot from today, and it's called The Good Samaritan. We're going to start in Luke chapter 10, verses 25, to kind of set the backdrop of this story. But before we get started, can we just kind of take a, a moment to pray and kind of set our hearts right? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these stories that you use to teach us something about your heart and really what it means to love God and to love people. And I pray that today our ears would be open our hearts would be open, and would you help us break down any barriers that we have so that we can receive what you want to speak to us about today. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture starts with this religious expert. He's a lawyer, and he's got a series of questions, and the way that Jesus chooses to respond is through the story of the Good Samaritan. Scripture says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It says he tested him. Probably not a good idea, but he's a lawyer, and so a lawyer's going to do what he's got to do, right? 
So Jesus responds, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. So this lawyer approaches Jesus with a really good question. And Jesus says, well, you know the law, which is basically Old Testament scriptures. You're the expert. What do you think that it says? And the lawyer responds, love God, love people, and basically love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you got it. He gives him a pass and says, do this and you will live. And you would think at this point that this lawyer would just walk away and say, okay, great, we're we're good to go. But no, he's a lawyer. Now, we might have lawyers in this room. I'm just kidding. But you guys argue for a living, so I'm assuming this guy is a little bit similar. So this guy, this lawyer, he isn't done yet. It says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And you should have walked away when Jesus gave you a pass. But it says he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to make sure that Jesus and he were on the same page on this. That they were talking about the same kind of neighbor. In the Greek language, there are two different words for this word neighbor. The first one is plesios, which means near. And the second one is perioikos, which means around. So what word do you think that the lawyer used? The one that meant near, the people that were close to him, or the around, the much broader terminology? Of course, he used the word plesios, the near neighbor, because who are the people that are closest to us? People that we like, people that we want to spend time with, people that act like us, think like us, people that are near to us. So he's hoping that this question will justify him. But here's some fairly noticeable problems in this question of who is my neighbor. The first one is this, is that the lawyer got two commands and he said them, but he quickly comes to the conclusion that he's really good on the first one. He's good with the first one. Really? With all that that entails in that first commandment, you think you're good. It says to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength and all their mind. Who can say that? But the, bro- the, the lawyer just brushes it off. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm good with that one, Jesus, but I, I want to kind of spend some time on this neighbor piece. That's the one I'm more confused about. The other problem is he sees no relation between the first commandment and the second commandment. Loving God with everything that's inside of you and loving people, but with no qualifiers. As if you can love God without loving people. Love God without loving your neighbors, a perioikos, all of those around us. Because those around us are called God's children. And if you, if you uh, have kids, you know that the quickest way to a parent's heart is to love their kids, right? And God's no different in this. Some of us, I include, find ourselves thinking like the lawyer sometimes. I, I love God and I love people, but come on, you can't mean so-and-so. And I think we all have maybe a so-and-so that comes to mind, don't we? Or we look at their behavior and we say, well, I, I love them. I just really don't want to spend any time with them. I really don't need to hang out with them at all. But it doesn't work that way. You see, the love is a verb. It's an action. It's not good enough to have that in our head, but it needs to move down into our heart. And I got to tell you, people, loving God and loving people, they're together. They are a packaged deal. We see this in 1 John 4, 20 and 21. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love a God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love 
their brother and sister. Anyone else find that really convicting? I find that hard to read. John's asking us, how can you love a God that you can't see, but you can't seem to love a family member who's wronged you that you see all the time? A colleague with different political views, a neighbor, a, 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 somebody in your, in your neighborhood that maybe has different views than you do, a boss who maybe is just a pain in the, you know. You see, part of loving God with all we are is displayed in how we love all of his creation, and that means everyone that's around us. And that leads us to this last problem with the lawyer's question on who his neighbor is. It was his desire to have the definition dependent on his own lifestyle. If Jesus would have said friends, family, people that agree with you, those people, the lawyer probably would have left right away. He would have been good with that. Because the Jews in that day did believe in loving your neighbor, being kind, but to their kind. They were also taught to hate their enemy. And Jesus spoke on this in Matthew 5.43 when he says, You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Knowing what the lawyer was asking and the lawyer's heart in this made Jesus respond with this story, the Great Samaritan. And this story isn't just for the lawyer. It wasn't just for his sake, but it was for our sake today as well because we need to hear this story. So let's continue in verse 30 where Jesus begins to share this story with us. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So in this story, he mentions a priest, and he passes him up. And the Levite as well, a Levite in that time would have been somebody like a worship pastor. So the, leader and the, uh, the, the lead pastor and the worship leader passed him by, kind of like Ben and Morgan. I, I'm just saying this for context, just for the context of this. The lawyer probably thought, oh, Jesus is going after the religious elite. These corrupt religious leaders, he's going after them. And I guarantee you, the common Jewish man is going to be the big hero in this story. But the story's ending would have been a huge shock to this lawyer, this Jewish lawyer, because in the original audience, they hated Samaritans. In the Jewish uh, lawyer's eyes, the Samaritan would have been the villain in this story, Jews and Samaritans despised each other, both religiously, politically, and even racially. Based on the culture, the Samaritan would have had every reason to, to hate this Jewish man and even walk right by him and pass. Matter of fact, the hatred between these people were so great that when you read that passage, the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. What does he say? He said, one who had mercy on him. He hates him that much. 
This religious and political hatred he had with this man should make the compassion of the Samaritan even greater as we read this story. This Samaritan's actions, this act of otherworldly generosity was driven by his compassionate heart. The word compassion means to suffer with. When we see someone in need, we recognize their suffering and we come alongside and we, we suffer with them. Many of you, like me, probably wear corrective lenses or, or contacts. Now, I really wear mine, which I probably should. I, I'm nearsighted, which means I can't see things up close. I can see things up close, but I can't see things far away, like billboards, road signs, stoplights, little things like that. Now, I don't want you running and leaving to get ahead of me on the road. But listen, it's not that bad. Being nearsighted makes it easy. I mean, it makes it tough to see sometimes those things that are farther away. And I think that's a pretty good description of the first two guys in this story. They just walked away from this wounded man and his needs. It, it just didn't feel personal to them. They were nearsighted. They could only see people that were close to them. And unfortunately, I would say that's a pretty good description of me at times. I can be so self-absorbed. And here's what it looks like for me. I've got a house. I, I don't need to worry about where I'm living. I, I've got a car. It's pretty reliable. I've got food on the table. I don't need to worry about that. My health is good most of the time. But those people that are off in the distance, that are not close to me, their needs, their problems, their issues, sometimes just fall outside of my vision. They're on the other side of the road. The needs of my neighbor down the street, well, I, I don't know that one very well. That shooting that happened in Milwaukee, it's 20 minutes away from me. It's not that I don't care. I just... I've seen it before. The amount of kids in foster care, children in global poverty, malnutrition, disease, and the HIV AIDS rate. It's not that I, I don't care. I do. Just not always enough to probably suffer with. But I, I always think this, that someone else probably will. It sounds cold, but isn't that kind of what I'm saying when I look the other way and I just pass on by? Sometimes I need to ask God to give me corrective lenses so that I can see the way that Jesus does. And when I, when I read this story that Jesus presents to us, I think he has three big ideas that he wants us to notice. And I hope you write these down. The first one is we need to open our eyes. If we're going to love our neighbors, those around us the way God has asked to, we need to start seeing hurting people around us because, people, we are surrounded by hurting people. And you don't have to look very far to see hurting people, do you? in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and many of you right here today, and some of you for different reasons. Maybe you're suffering from some physical wounds, chronic migraines, autoimmune diseases, maybe even battling cancer. And the physical wounds are often seen, but many times it's emotional wounds that we carry that go unseen. In fact, when you walk around our lobbies here at River Glen, you're going to see people laughing and smiling Everything looks great. Everything looks fine. But I guarantee you, you wouldn't have to look very far to find a couple who didn't talk on the way in today because they really don't have much to say to each other anymore. And they're just not really sure how much, they're, how much longer their marriage is going to survive. Or someone who's lonely, waiting for a spouse, waiting for community, waiting for a job, and it just doesn't seem like it's in the cards for them. Or a kid who's just been broken down, doesn't feel like they're smart enough, doesn't feel like they're pretty enough, and they feel like they're a failure and a disappointment to their friends and to their family. 
Friends, we're surrounded by people in this building and online and that are physically hurting, that are emotionally hurting. And like never before in our lifetime, we are surrounded by people that are hurting spiritually. The thieves in this parable represent Satan, the enemy of God, and he isn't just satisfied with wounding you physically and emotionally. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he, the thief comes to only to steal and to kill and to destroy not only in your current life, but he wants to rob you of your eternal life as well. He is on a mission to separate you from a God who loves you. This story, this parable reminds us there are people all around us with emotional, physical, and spiritual needs. There are neighbors, our family members, people we work with, we go to school with, and the pain is real and the spiritual stakes are high. And I hate to say this, but they are eternal. Which brings me to the second big idea. We need to have open doors. We need to be a trauma center for those people. We need to be available to them. And we all know there's not very many places that hurting people can turn to today because many people just walk on by people that are hurt and they're blind to their pain. It's easier to say, well, they got themselves into this position and it's because of their choices. So that's kind of on them. It's easier to think, well, what if they're trying to rip me off? What if there's a catch in this? The world often looks at hurting people in ways that cost before responding, worries that someone might be taking advantage of them. There's a a story about a woman in an airport, and she goes up to the kiosk, and she gets a newspaper, and she gets a little bag of, of cookies. She finds a place to seat and wait for a plane, and a fellow traveler sits down next to her, and she smiles at him, and she looks down, and she opens up her cookie bag and takes out a cookie and eats it. The guy looks at her and smiles, and he reaches down, and he takes a cookie out of the same bag. She uh, immediately takes two cookies because she wants to make sure that this guy knows whose cookies they are, and he smiles, and he takes two cookies. And this goes back and forth until there are no more cookies in the bag except for one. And that guy picks it up, and he looks at her, and he breaks it in half, and he gives her one and pops the other one in his mouth. The woman is furious. She's disgusted. She gets up, she leaves, she waits on the other side. They call her to board the plane. She boards, sits in her seat. She opens up her bag to get her newspaper, and guess what she finds inside? She finds her bag of cookies. See, so many times we think that it's somebody else that's trying to take advantage of us, and this attitude can keep us from responding to hurting people all around us. And we need to quit worrying about whether somebody's going to steal our cookies too worried about our own needs instead of the needs of others. Unfortunately, this man on the side of the road experienced what many of us know about today, that we become so self-absorbed, caring about what I want, where I'm going, what, what's going to make my life easier, that we, we lose ourselves and we have so little time for anybody else around us. People need the church more than ever. That's why River Glen has to be a trauma center for hurting and wounded people. This is part of who we are. We talk about it all the time. This is in our values, what we call kind of our three C's that we celebrate each week, that we we meet together and celebrate what God is doing in our lives and we celebrate during the week and what he's doing with us. We connect in groups and we grow in our faith and contribute to the mission of Jesus by serving others, living generously and inviting others I like that the fact that invite is part of contributing because inviting is a way of contributing to the mission of Jesus. And invite can be a great way to show the love to someone else. 
As mentioned earlier, we have September Fest coming up. What a great opportunity to invite somebody to say, hey, just, just come and see. Maybe you haven't been to church in a while. Maybe it's done a little differently than what you thought. But come and see. Because we can't sit silently when people are hurting, especially spiritually. We need to be able to introduce them to a place and to a man called Jesus that can provide them that healing that they're so desperately searching for. Because Jesus, just like he did with the lawyer, he calls us to love all, all of those around us. Help the wounded get the healing that they're looking for, like the great Samaritan, the good Samaritan. So we want to be known as a church who unleashes generosity and love in our neighborhoods and our community and around the world. We want to be a trauma center for them. That's why we have an outreach program in our church who help meet the needs of those around us, like our local homeless shelters. A few weeks back, Jason shared that we are providing a meal every single week to the Hebron House. That's what the Pewaukee campus is doing. I'm, I'm so proud of what they're doing. We build homes for Habitat for Humanity. We meet needs in our schools, and we partner with so many different organizations so that we can meet the needs of the people right where they are. This is why River Glen has a Stevens ministry to walk alongside people that are hurting, why we have a Celebrate Recovery that helps people in their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and their addictions, why we have Grief Share so we can help people through their grieving process. And this is why we're working on a divorce care. This affects so many people and so many families in our world today, and we're working on creating a divorce care so that we can help meet those needs. All of these and many more help us meet the needs of other people. And I have to tell you, I have never been more blown away by your generosity. These programs, these ministries, they're all available because of your sacrificial generosity. In addition, so many of you are serving in our communities, in our church. You're contributing your time and your resources. You're involved in some of the things that we do in our community, like meal packing, which we're doing again in October. If you haven't heard about it, Keep your eyes out. It's a huge opportunity to make a big difference. Your generosity has not only helped us create a trauma center, though, right here in Waukesha and Pewaukee, but it's also helped us plant trauma centers all over the world. This church continues to help other churches get planted so they can meet the needs in their own community as well. And I'm so proud to be a part of a church that doesn't just look inward, but that is sacrificial to the needs of other churches as well. To date, River Glen has helped plant 12 churches, a physical campus in Pewaukee and an online campus. That is amazing. And trust me, I know this heart of generosity. I know that this is, this is tough. This doesn't just come by accident. Contrary to popular belief, love is not an involuntary act, just a feeling. It's a voluntary choice of the will that we have to make every day. We got to choose to love every day. We just don't fall in and out of love on how we feel in the moment. Like you've lost that loving feeling and it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, I just watched Top Gun. But seriously, we, do, we have to decide that to love those around us and be a church that acts on what we know. We know this. Act on what God is telling us to do. In Matthew 25, 40, it says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. God wants our lives to overflow with mercy and love and compassion. These are the marks of his kingdom. This is the mark of his heart and who he is. And I believe God has called us to establish trauma centers in every city, on every block, in all of our communities. 
And am I excited to tell you today, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it through you and you and you up there and over here. We're going to do it through you and Pewaukee and those of you that are watching in Iowa and Ohio and California with me, with all of the people that are in this room. You see, the church, this isn't a place where we gather on Saturday and Sunday. It's where we live our lives. God is calling us as a church, as a people, to be trauma centers in our homes, in our dorms, in our apartments, our condos, and even at our work. We're called to start loving people and start helping people and lifting them up where we live. We're called to be a good Samaritan and do what we can. Just be there for people or help them get to a trauma center like the Samaritan did. Have compassion when we see people sinking into depression. People that are wrestling with alcoholism and addiction. A family that's being torn apart when we see a single mom that's just struggling to make ends meet and put food on her table. When someone's lonely, just take a moment to listen. You and I are the church, so we're called to act and not just walk on by. And trust me, I, I know this isn't easy. We need to seek God to help avoid the pitfalls that can keep us from helping those around us, those people that are hurting. And that leads me to the third big idea. We need to have open eyes. We need to have open doors. And the third is we need to have an open heart. We need to help notice people if we're going to be able to help them. We need to help people find a place to get that healing. But if we don't ask God to change this right here, our heart, if we don't ask God to fill us with the spirit, we're not going to be able to be the trauma center that the, this world so desperately needs. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart from everything that you do flows from it. We need to be careful. We need to guard our hearts. It's so easy to become cynical and apathetic to the needs around us. It's easy to make excuses like someone else has this this time. I've, I've done my part. Trust me, you, you don't know what I've done in the past. Or I have too much going on right now in my life to do anything. And to be honest, those words have come out of my mouth more often than I'd like to admit. Theologian Charles Spurgeon said, I never knew a man who refused to help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse. You see, we can so easily make an excuse not to help someone in need. And those excuses are, are probably pretty good too, but we need to fight through those feelings and we need to make a choice. There's another thing. I think sometimes we can get so bombarded with the brokenness in our world that it, it starts to just harden your heart. You just pick up your phone, you turn on the TV, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, the natural disasters. You turn on social media and there's one GoFundMe page after another the poverty, the brokenness. You look all around us in our communities and our world and the needs just seem so overwhelming. We think, what difference in my life? What little bit of generosity that I have? What difference can I make? I can't solve all the problems in this world. There's a story about a, a man who went to Florida to get away and he was relaxing on a beach one night and a terrible storm came in and it washed up thousands and tens of thousands of starfish onto this beach and he went to bed and when he woke up in the morning he walked down onto the beach and they were just littered all across the beach and they were baking in the sun and he sees a little boy and the little boy is picking up a starfish and he's throwing them in the water and he picks up another one and throws it in and the guy walks by and says what are you doing and he says I'm saving that starfish 
And he goes, you're not even going to make a dent in this. There are just too many starfish. He said, well, I made a difference for that one. Andy Stanley said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And that's what we're trying to do here at River Glen. And that's what God is calling us to do in our daily lives with those around us. One life at a time. Maybe you're here today and this is all new to you and you're not even really sure what you believe. I hope you see in this story that you are so valuable to God, that God loves you so much that he designed a church to be a trauma center, to seek you out when you're wounded. And he sent his son, Jesus, to be the good Samaritan to be there right where you are today and right as you are today. And he wants to take you off that road that's left you wounded, a road of dead ends, and give you a life that's to the fullest. And if you're here today, if you're wounded or broken, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry. The church is sorry for what you're going through. We care about you. We love you. We would love to just walk alongside you and pray for you. After service today, we're going to have people up at the front, and I want to encourage you, just step up front. Let us know how how we can serve you and how we can pray for you. Lastly, for all those here today that follow Jesus, I want to encourage you this week. Think about what God's calling you to do. Where's the Holy Spirit moving you to, to serve, to volunteer, to make a difference? Who in your life is he asking you to reach down and kind of pick up. And I want to I want to ask you that every day when you get up this morning or this week that you, you pray a prayer that says, God, open my eyes to the things that are around me. Put people in my path so that I, I see them. And give me the courage to put other things aside and to be be a door for them and reach down and help them. And Father, give me a heart like you. Because when it's their problem, it's my problem too. We're all brothers and sisters. And God's saying, man, go help them. Be there for me. In a minute, we're going we're gonna to hear a special song, but I'd like us to stop. And let, let, let's start this week by praying today what we want to change inside of our lives. Father, we want to thank you for sending your son Jesus to be a good Samaritan for us. When we are broken and hurting on the side of the road, that you loved us where we were, not because of what we've done. We pray, God, that you give us those same eyes to those around us who need to know your love as well. I pray that you help us step out of our comfort zone, serve those around us, and, Father, give us a heart like you. Father, we know we can't do this on our own, but we know that you've given us a Holy Spirit that is so much greater than ourselves. Help us to hear his voice when he calls, when he calls us to love and serve and live generously. Help us to live the life that you've called us to, Father. We love you, and it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.